Borak Dong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 148th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This week, we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover two, the 2080 annual for 1987. As always, the annuals are dated for the year after they came out, and this is the 10th the 10th 2080 annual. This year, we're seeing new stories by up-and-coming writers and artists, Ron Smith Daily Dreads, and another classic multi-issue 2080 story, this time the Robusters Terramech story. And could it be possible? No text story? Whoa! <laughs> uh, the 2080 annual is once again a little cheaper than the uh, Judge Dredd annual at £2.95, price holding steady from last year. But I'm, of course, more excited about my guest for this episode, 2080 superfan Dave Wynn, a.k.a. Scowlin' Monkey and Judge Pal. Whoa! Welcome to the show! Borg, thank Conrad. Great to be here. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, just just got to say... Uh, both myself and my partner are huge fans of the show. It's uh, it's right up there with the likes of the Mega City Book Club and so on. Really enjoy it. So, oh, thank you very yeah, much. Glad, that's that's rare company yeah, to, be to be in. So I really appreciate it for sure. <laughs> awesome. So, I guess before we get started, I'd love to hear your uh, 2000 AD history or how you got started with uh, with the Prague and the Galaxy's Greatest. Yeah, sure. Well, un- unfortunately, I'm not a Prague winner. Um, I've always kind of been aware of 2080. I mean, uh, back in the day, I read any comics uh, voraciously. Um, but for most of my preteens, it was things like the Dad and Deep, you know, Wizard and Chips. And then later, the Eagle, um, you know, Dan Day and Doom Lord and 30th Floor and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also picked up old issues of Victor Warlord and, and occasionally Action as well. Um, 2080 was kind of in the mix, but it didn't, um, it didn't really click with me until I was about 13. Um, and I started uh, a, a paper round and loved reading the um, the dread strip in the Daily Star every weekend. Oh wow! And yeah, um, so I'm really pleased that there's some in this uh, annual. <laughs> yeah, I, definitely. I, I have badged you in the past to cover these. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, um, and then the the news agent where uh, I run the paper on from um, had some of the Eagle reprints, you know, the Brian Bolland covers and so mm-hmm. on. Um, and they just really grabbed me. And then I made the link to 2000 AD very, very quickly. And from that moment, I was hooked. And I think I started reading it around about the time when um, Johnny and Wolf went after Zen the Brain, brain Wraith with yes. Face McNulty. Yeah. yeah. Big, big um, Bust 56 and, or, or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the Big Bust, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and from that point onwards, I just literally soaked up and hoovered up any kind of 2080 I could get my hands on. So I went through all the best of, so I found all the annuals and the jumble sales and, and hit um, all the comic shops to get the, the Titan uh, graphic novel collections as well. Um, the first of which was City of the Damned, which is still really high on my, on my list of the best dreads ever, you know. Nice. Um, yeah, um, and I see that you and um, Fox have... Uh, just well, and the, the ones that I've been listening to recently, you've just covered the uh, the Strontium Dog story where um, Wolf Sternhammer gets it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that yeah, that was um, it's interesting. My my favorite Strontium story is Portrait of a Mutant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great which one. Which is um, yeah, it's, uh, it was really strange because I read that, and then in school we started covering Hitler's Germany not long after, and I was kind of like, oh, hang on, I've read all this stuff, already. <laughs> um, but then. Besides that, strangely, my second favorite Strontium dog story is actually Rage. Um, which oh, yeah. Is bizarre. So neither, neither of them have Wolf in the story, but 
when you know when Raid started, I was just so on Johnny's side. I wanted to, to see Max Bubba's gang get it so bad because I couldn't believe they'd taken Wolf away from us. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was really interested in and and uh, hearing Foxy's taken it. He was just devastated, wasn't he? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we all yeah, like that's really like the one of the saddest times. <laughs> like that, um. <laughs> You know, we just did that month on the show, and it's really like like it's the end of Halo Jones Book Three, and Wolf dies, and it's just like, oh my god, like this is just a this is a really sad month. <laughs> like, it's it's so sad they had to have like like the 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 Griblings episode of Dread, where he just like interacts with some teddy bears just so you can sort of like, yeah. like survive survive the week, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So. um yeah, uh, since then, though, I, I kind of stopped reading in the 90s, um, partly because the content just seemed to be aimed away from from the likes of me. Um, mm-hmm. It was trying to capture a very laddish audience, I think, which was kind of prevalent in the media back then anyway. Um, mm. pretty, pretty dark times, the loaded generation, I think, that they're called. <laughs> um, and, but then I also partly dropped it because I discovered, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a priority list of it. Yeah. I feel like that's a story that that like that that's a pretty common 2000 AD story, and I and I think a comic book story in general is like you get really into it like maybe when you're like you know 10 to maybe 15 or something like that, and then you really just sort of fall out of comics. I mean that's very much the American comic story. I've read books where they talk about how. Um, the average comic reader reads comics for four years and then sort of they, you know, they're either too young or too old for comics. And so you could sort of, you can tell the same story every four years because there's nobody there <laughs> when you tell it. <laughs> At least that was the idea in like the 60s and 70s, you know, where it's sort of like, all right, like we can just keep, keep, keep this rolling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, over the years I've dipped in and out, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I really came back in at the start of uh, Day of Chaos. Um, what, what an amazing story that was! Um, but then I used my um, local library to catch up on stuff I'd missed, like The Pit and Origins, Nikolai Dante, and stuff like that, which by then had been collected into a whole bunch of graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I also um, got myself the full uh, Judge uniform kit from Planet Replicas. And that just changed my world almost overnight. Um, <laughs> it, it's just taken me to so many places, and I've just met so many amazing people. Um, you know, along alongside fellow fans and and also fellow judges with the same Planet Replica outfit. You know, um, uh, in various comic cons, and you know, I had loads of antics with the writers and artists from the cons from the comic. Um, oh, and it got me um, it got me a ticket for the. Uh, 2012 dread film preview in soho where i met carlos and john for the first time oh nice um, as well as uh you know as well as other fans like judge burdis and steve green i think you've had steve in the show haven't you yeah mm, yeah so so yeah so I've, I've been a reader ever since but um mostly on digital subscription because uh, my house is just overflowing with 2018 <laughs> and you know I, I make my own tat my own 2018 tat to add to the chaos <laughs> as well you know so yeah, yeah, so that's that's my story, I guess, in a nutshell. Awesome. So and so so you had this annual when you when it came out then the the the, the eighty seven one. Yeah, the annual that I have in my hand is the annual that I had back in oh, nineteen eighty seven. That's yeah. amazing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, most of the annuals on my shelf are ones that, you know, particularly kind of like pre nineteen ninety ones that. Um, yeah, that I, I bought at the time. The ones kind of like prior to 86, I think, I probably got from jumbo sales and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, they're all the original ones from my youth. So 
Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I love these annuals and it seems like maybe it's just the, uh, the, the, the hardcover binding that allows them to still be around and sort of stand the test of time a little bit. Like I've been able to get most of them for, for pretty cheaply and it's usually, and, the, and, and, and there's good on the shelf for sure. <laughs> yeah. Mine is starting to show the rage a bit. I mean, my 1978 annual is, um, yeah, uh, I've got to open it very, very carefully. <laughs> totally. So I don't, I don't go into it that very often. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you're right, they they do look awesome on the shelf, uh, next to all the um the collected case files and so on as well. So Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's get to the annual. Oh, it's gonna be awesome. Um so just <laughs> yeah, to give you go. yeah, so just to give you some context again. Um last we're still like like we're in the middle of a, a of a working vacation on the show right now. We're sort of uh, Fox and I are, are we're taking some time off from Prague episodes just to rebuild our backlog so we're still we've just finished prog 4 466 which is the end of uh halo jones book three ace garp infiltrating the chicken home world in the in a chicken in, in a terrifying chicken suit i guess both both ace garps um uh we're sort of in a in a in a period of uh short stories for dread and johnny alpha is is like about to begin the rage storyline we're right at the end of max bubba um and oh, brilliant. It's, a, yeah, it's just a real great, like everything, like 2008 feels kind of crouched to get to the rest of 1986 at this point. It's real. It's, 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 it's an interesting time for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see what Fox's reaction is to uh, Johnny Alpha's uh, rampage. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for my reaction to it. It's been a long time since I've read Rage and I remember it being a lot of fun of just uh, Johnny just kicking people's asses all over the, uh, all over the galaxy. It's going to be real good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this annual opens with a cover by Robin Smith of uh, Dread, Rogue, and Johnny Alpha, and then the inside cover has a crazy robot dude with like wire hair and a wire beard by Kev O'Neill oh, oh, along with the table of contents. It's very kind of cool looking. Yeah, the Kev O'Neill um, picture is, is absolutely crazy, isn't it? It's a little bit of a shame about the the cover itself, though. I just find it a bit static. Particularly, um, I pulled out the other annuals either side of it, and I think mm-hmm. the '86 is a Ballard and Ellie, yeah, and then the the '88 is is this this amazing Brendan McCarthy cover, which is just astonishing. So this is you know is nice art and, and so on. It looks looks good, but uh, perhaps not up to the same level as the one before and the one yeah, after. Yeah, I I uh, agree. I think. This year feels like a year where they just like maybe there wasn't a lot of money for annuals or something like <laughs> yeah. in 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 the budgeting for them because usually because because that's what I feel like whenever Robin Smith d- does a cover because you know he was the art director for for so long and mm. is sort of a more editorial guy instead of a instead of a freelance guy so when he shows up and does art I feel like it's because they don't have enough money to pay a freelance artist so they sort of bring him in to do it and he did the. Both the 2000 AD and the Judge Dread annual for for the, for this year. So to me, it kind of feels yeah. like they're like, all right, like let's just get 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 Robin in to do it, and we'll sort of you know save some money on it or something like that. Yeah, and, and interestingly, look, uh, the Judge Dread annuals. I mean, the 1986 had that fantastic Carl as his cover, and then the mm-hmm. 1988 annual had that amazing John Higgins cover, and then there's the yeah the Robin Smith one sandwiched in the middle. Um, yeah, it's the the differences. Yeah, Quite it's yeah, jarring. So. De- definitely, yeah, and you know, like, uh, yeah, and I and I always bristle at a uh, at, at a non uh uh Johnny Alpha and stuff like that. <laughs> well, it's sort of an interesting. Oh yeah, thing, we'll yeah. talk about that a bit more later. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but let's <laughs> but let's start things out with 
301 Rogue Trooper. So, starting out here, scripted by Peter Milligan, art about Jose Ortiz, lettering about Steve Potter. The story is called North by Northwest. It's a rare full color uh, Rogue Trooper story, so you can see that he's blue. <laughs> and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, that's always nice, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You get to see his actual skin color. Yeah. <laughs> I think Peter Milligan's new to Rogue. I don't think he's done a lot of Rogue stuff. Um, but of course, or- Ortiz is an old hand. He's been doing it since the uh, since the Horst storyline. Um, yeah, yeah. There's There's been some fantastic um, Ozzy Ortiz art on, on Rogue Trooper. Um, I guess we'll talk about that, that more in a minute. But, sure. Uh, so we open up with the Chips and Rogue sort of bickering as, as they tend to do. They say... Uh, they talk about which one's more important, and there's some extremely tough talk here from from Helm, who is like, like, oh, like you're just a guy, you you just shoot like Gunner, and, and like it's like, dude, like you just literally just are our rogue's pillow and sit on his head, you know, like you don't have any <laughs> active roles. Um, but with that going on, the uh, the chips then start to uh, reminisce and tell Rogue a story, where. Rogue and the Chips are on the run from South or Millifuzz near the Scum Sea when Rogue is common, has commandeered an Atmo, Atmo craft flying northwest into the haunted Scum Sea Triangle. When they when they arrive in there, they uh, they are hit by a mauve monsoon, or to be more accurate, a purple rain. Purple rain. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, oh my god, that was just a real grown out loud one. That one was. I mean, it's, I always, you know, the, there are times where there's weird song things in, um, in Rogue Trooper, I guess most famously Dreamweavers, but still. Um. Oh, wait, you're going to do the insert there. Oh, excuse me. You've got oh, to, Dreamweavers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> nice one. Um, so. As they're in the uh, purple rain, um, it starts to seep through the seals of the Atmo craft. And when Rogue gets touched by it, he loses his memory. Ah, oh, who is he? What are these voices all around him? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Unable to control it, the craft crashes and only an emergency bathy bubble from, ba- from, uh, from a bagman lets Rogue, uh, saves Rogue and the chips from drowning. But since Rogue has forgotten all of his technical training, it just sort of sinks down to the bottom of the sea where there's a huge city. The lost city of New Atlantis, and it looks very cool. This is huge um, underwater city by Ortiz. Very nice. Um, inside the city, man, it's the Norts. <laughs> of course, <laughs> always. You know, it's always a good time for the Norts to show up. the The chips guide the clueless rogue through the dirty work of killing these guys, and it's very much just like the. Uh, uh, Gunner and Bagman sort of going on like on autopilot and just having Rogue just be like 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 hold me up point point me at those guys and I'll just shoot them all you know <laughs> like yeah really big of themselves up here aren't they absolutely so they manage to free the locals who are these humans in weird robes who can now live in peace since Rogue has saved them from Nort occupation it says the amnesia will soon wear off so Rogue. Excuse me. So Rogue and the Chips are loaded into a sub and just sent off. Uh, Bagman finishes the story and Rogue kind of chuckles. He's like, ah, oh, you guys had me going. I, I believed you for a second, but you guys didn't bicker, moan, or fight once during that story. And that's just too far-fetched. 
<laughs> and it turns out the whole thing was a scheme by the chips that would allow them to boss Rogue around for once. Like, ah, oh, we saved you that one time in Atlantis, so you got to do what we say. But the joke's on them, because the story ends with Rogue just sort of leaving all of his war gear in a heap and walking away into the cursed earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just showing just how... Uh... How reliant they are on him, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah. no, come back. We were only joking. <laughs> what about that team spirit, Rogue? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, this is a, quite a nice, fun story to to start the annual. Um, mm-hmm. It's very... I, I I don't think it's the best in the Well, I mean, we'll talk about that more later, but um, mm-hmm. the art from Joe's Ortiz, absolutely amazing, you know. Um, I love the... the the washed out colors, you know, I love the mm-hmm. detail, you know, particularly when they see the city under the water and so on. Um, so there's, there's no denying it's absolutely stellar artwork. It's just that maybe the script is a little too um, whimsical for, yeah. for me and for a rogue trooper story, you know, um, if, if I compare it to another um, Jose Ortiz story, I don't know if you recall this one where um, there are two young noughts who are trying to desert to this other line just so they could sit the war out in a detention right. camp. Um, and then uh, Rogue and Bagman and Gunner and the crew stumble upon them and Gunner being the trigger happy cycle that he is, just guns them down instantly. And it's only then that uh, you know Rogue realizes that they're probably just, they're really young and just teenagers kind of thing. And that, um, again, amazing artwork from Hose Ortiz, but also the, the the message there is very, very similar to the kind of gritty battlefield tales that we we've we're used to with Rogue Trooper, if you know yeah. what I mean. So this story, while fun, doesn't quite sit that well with me as a Rogue Trooper story, really. Yeah, that one was in the uh, in the sci fi special this year actually. So yeah, it's 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 fresh in my mind as well. Yeah, the thing I like about that one too is that both um the Norts and the ships had sort of heard like uh had heard like propaganda rumors that the other side eats their prisoners and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. that one was very war as hell. And this one really feels like a, 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 a prototypical um, annual story where there's no real stakes. And it's like, you know, it's just sort of once like in real life, it's probably like five minutes of rogue troopers time. Cause it's just sort of Bagman telling a story that ends up to be fake. So it's not even like a real thing that happened. It's just sort of, we're just, telling some weird rogue story basically <laughs> so i yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah it definitely lacks the gravitas of some of these other rogue trooper stories we've had even in annuals like i i, I remember there was an alan moore one that was about um like the first like g- genetic infantryman that was this like old guy that was sort of lost in the uh in like the crystal waste and like rogue defends him as he dies of old age or something like that um yeah. This oh was, wow! I don't remember that one. Yeah, I, it was from an earlier annual, I believe, and it was yeah, it was one of these, it was one of the couple like like Alan Moore ones, I guess. So that was like sort of a downer, but also kind of an interesting one in comparison to I don't know other stuff we've seen. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'll have to go back and search that one out. Definitely, yeah. I I, mm. I can figure out which one it is. I forget which which annual is off the top of my head. They all <laughs> go together. Um, but speaking of uh, far-reaching stories. It's <laughs> well done. <Yeah. laughs> Thrill two future shocks. Uh, script about Grant Morrison, art about Jeff Anderson, letting go about Steve Potter. And this one feels actually kind of Alan Morey to me, or maybe like sort of like the platinum horde story or something. And like a lot of these annual stories, this one might've been a, a, a tryout story for, for Morrison. Cause a lot of those end up in these annuals sort of in artists for, or a writer's like first story or an, an artist's first work. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Alec Trench story. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Part <laughs> And part of why I think it, it it might be Grant's tryout story, because it's literally a story about someone submitting a story to, to, a, comic, to a comic publisher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, oh, yeah, we yeah. we've seen this uh, kind of story a, a couple of times before. <laughs> yeah, I gotta feel like a lot of these end up being born out of frustration by newer writers. <laughs> Just like, finally, I got through. Yeah. All right, here's my story about about not being accepted. Um, so, <laughs> a writer submits a story to Nova Comics, posting it in a mailbox, which a bunch of aliens have teleported into to cover a to a. Uh, to hand over a sci-fi bounty, but it's so crowded in there that, that that they just teleport it away, and that takes the letter with them as they go. It uh, the letter arrives in deep space in a tiny solar system where it destroys all the planets because the whole solar system takes up like two inches, basically. <laughs> Later, the letter is picked up by an alien race where it is believed to be an insulting message to the emperor, causing a fifty thousand years long war. Then it arrives in a strange part of space and time where the very English uh, tailed mailman of the cosmos usually delivers letters to Santa and the Tooth Fairy, use their uh, chronostolastic infidelium to, to finally <laughs> teleport the letter to Nova Comics, where a disease inside it inside of it kills a race of attacking invisible aliens the publishers read the script and and you know and and and, and, it, and it ends up being about a crazy universe voyaging letter and thus swiftly reject it for being too far-fetched oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man does this one deserve the air horn i'm not sure <laughs> I, I mean i feel like it because like why tell one future shock story when you can tell all the future shock stories bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Because <laughs> this yeah. is very, very much every future shock, whether it's like some innocuous thing, like causing a massive war because aliens don't understand it. Um, there being some sort of weird misunderstanding where aliens think that something very mon- human and mundane is a much bigger deal. Um, a story where aliens are very tiny. That's a very uh, like <laughs> long running future shock, sh- shock trope. Or just like, yeah. uh, like suddenly here's like a weird explanation for something you never really thought of, but it's a very English, a bunch of very English aliens doing it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I guess they'll deserve an air horn for that. Then. I mean, yeah. you know, hey, I'm 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 very loose with them, so it's fine. Like it's not like that big a deal, you know. <laughs> yeah, the artwork's uh, not too bad, although um, I, I have a sneaking suspicion. You know, the uh, multi-eyed creature with all the horns and that a couple of pages prior. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks very much like the creature on the front of um, Death Trap Dungeon. You know that Fighting Fantasy book by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston? Did you, I know, did you ever read those? I know Fighting Fantasy, but I haven't actually read. I, I I haven't really read any of the books. I think I was a more of a lone wolf kid when I was when I was growing up. Although I did also make the jump just to straight up D and D very early as well. So I didn't read those books that much. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Very reminiscent. But, you know, hmm. good for all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the artwork's not bad at all. It's, it's almost uh, a bit Alan Davis-y, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. This uh, this artist, um, Jeff Anderson, he's done some stuff, but he's very much like, you know, he like c- kind of comes on and does a bunch of dread in like the 600s, I want to say. Um, but he's only done a little, a couple, few, like a lot of uh, Ola Stepanuk uh, um, f- f- Future shocks up into, up to this point, I think. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, not one I'm familiar with. Yeah, he's not one of the day to day artists for sure. And speaking of day to day comics, it's Thrill <laughs> Three Daily Dreads. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Now I get onto the good stuff. Yeah, I'll do my best here. Um, so, script robot John Wagner, art robot Ron Smith, lettering robot Tom Frame. Again, more just daily strips for this annual. With the um, this one starts with the with, with a uh, a cover of the Star newspaper, apparently from November two thousand, covering the adventures of Judge Dredd. And what I've managed to research is some sort of joke about footballer Brian Robson still playing soccer in the year two thousand because he had a really long career as a player in nineteen eighty six. I guess. Uh, I don't know, but that's what it's, that's what the joke seems to be to me. Seems to be to me. Um. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, that goes right over my head. I've yeah. never followed uh, football at all. So I was just kind of like, word for that one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just kind of like saw it. And I was like, well, that seems like a weird thing to just put in there. Like some guy being some random football guy being injured or a soccer guy being injured. Um, Maybe it's uh, reflective of the kind of um, things that were on the front page of the star at the time. Uh, definitely could uh, be. Yeah. Yeah. So we're so we're starting to see a little a little change in in the daily dreads here, as they're now starting to have multi part stories instead of just sort of single ones. Um, yeah, this one is at least. Um, I think there's uh, um, quite a long period of uh, single stories after this, which uh, be- before it then becomes even more serialized again. And actually, I think later on it becomes serialized daily when these originally were weekend right. kind of, uh, strips on the page, you know. And then when the serialized stuff comes along, it moves from Ron Smith to people like um, Ian Gibson and Mike Collins and people like that drawing them. Mm-hmm. Um, all great stuff, you know. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I just think it's funny that we've got like we in the uh, in in the sci-fi special this year too. There was a two-parter, and I, and it's always just really funny to think of that they had the the apocalypse war in one strip, and this and you know this story takes four or whatever. <laughs> so it's just kind of yeah. A, that that apocalypse war page is just a work of genius, isn't it? How on earth did they manage to cram all that into what seven frames or something? I think it? eleven, <laughs> but definitely just one like week of comic strip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the the iconic Daily Dread strip for sure. Yeah, da- Daily Star Dread strip. So all the ones we're we're seeing here ran from September to December 1984, um, and so we start off with part one of Mickey the Mouth. Um, Dread's coming back from from Luna One, bringing a a, a, a mob squealer Mickey Marcos. At the spaceport, they're greeted by Chief Judge Magruder, but she's supposed to be in Britsit. It's a trap! Dredd shoots the chief, and she explodes because it was an android walking bomb. <laughs> Good spot, Dredd. Yeah, he's this, quick. <laughs> yeah, this whole story actually re- 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 reminds me of another story where um, they, they had a squealer come, but it was a guy that was just ahead, and a bunch of like mob blitzers um, like, tried oh, to take yeah. him out. Oh, yeah. And like by Dave Gibbons, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's right? right. Yeah, and um, the head like could do a lot of uh, impressions, and so he did an impression of another mob boss and got the the blitzers to all self destruct. Basically, it was, that was like <laughs> one that stuck with me, if just because it was just a guy that, that was a head on like a, a, a little cart, I guess. Um, yeah. But so part. That, oh, yeah, so that was ahead. that was one of the few uh, dreads that Dave Gibbons drew as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. So mm. in, in part two of this one, the Justice Department security van is under heavy fire. There's landmines, ambushes. Mickey gets hit by a bullet, and they climb aboard a lawmaster to get to the, to, to the security block because he's not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> you dead yet? No. no. Then don't come complaining to me till you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sheesh. <laughs> Great. Love it. <laughs> in part three, a homing missile is coming after Dread and Mickey, and then after their bike, after the bikes exploded, like all true 2080 heroes, they head into the sewers 
and Dread <laughs> and, and Mickey complains and Dread Dread isn't worried about all the diseases down there so long as Mickey doesn't get lockjaw because he's got to you know it's <laughs> like, like 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 give the information up you know yeah he's got to be talkative at the end of this. <laughs> At, at last, they arrive at the Grand Hall of Justice in part four, and Mickey really stinks, but he's got that good info, so we better clean him up so we can come clean. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's the reaction of the other judges that are great, isn't it? Phew, decontaminate these steps. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're proper judges. They aren't used to all the sewer work that's required for heavy-duty heroism, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Another thing that's interesting in here as well is that you see Ron Smith uh, putting um, moustaches and stuff on, on judges, which is uh, quite nice um, because there's always uh, th- there's occasionally a bit of a discussion um, amongst uh, uh, folk when the Planet Replica judges hit the scene and where some of us are bearded, I've got goatees or whatever, yeah. and they're like, judges aren't supposed to have beards. And da, 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 da. Well, Ron Smith drew them, so it's canon. Yeah. So no, I, yeah. I mean, the big thing that comes from is like in the in, in, in the Judge Child, where where yeah, Dread frowns on Lopez for having a mustache, but that's more like that that that's more like Dread's opinion than an actual like statute, <laughs> and it's one of those yeah, things. than an actual rule in the yeah, yeah in the Justice Department uh, comportment book. I think it's in Dread's comportment, isn't it? The, yeah, he the like, judges. Uh, yeah, it's vanity to have a. A mustache, or yeah. A, like you can't trust a, you. You can't fully trust a judge with a with a mustache or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, but it, but it feels more just like a bugbear of dreads than an actual like like rule. Cause, yeah, because there's a fair amount of mustached and bearded judges out there. For you know, come on, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so after Mickey's been arrested, it's time for some more standard strips here in the uh, in the, in the Daily Dreads. A citizen flags Dread down because he's being chased by little green men with with bug eyes and and bulbous antennas. Antenna, Dread arrests him and takes him to the psycho cubes, and then we see those same little men, little green men that the citizen was complaining about. They're like, "Ah, oh, we we've lost a victim, but we don't want to go after Dread because he seems tough." Yeah, we're not tangling with a big blue alien with an eagle on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> I love these little one lines at the end of these strips. Totally, I, and how they specifically <laughs> like you know made all these like the uh, guy did all these little things to describe the aliens, and they're all there like picture perfect in the final page where the aliens are like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, during a hostage situation on a Mega City One hover bus, a perp has taken a hostage and Dredd is forced to shoot through a citizen to take out the hostage taker, which feels very uh, like the first speed movie to me. Like, you know, you got to shoot the hostage to take down that, to, to take down the perp. Interestingly, this uh, was a scene um, that was removed from the start of the 2012 Dredd movie. Um, oh, interesting. The, I yeah, the um, so do you know at the start they he takes out the van with the bike cannon and the the van rolls, right? Um, and and he hits the guy with the next with like a signal flare or something like that, right? In the in in the movie, as I recall, but yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. In in the original version um, that they filmed, they didn't the the perp didn't even make it as far as the mall because uh, he's running through the crowd and Dread shoots through the shoulder of a citizen to take the perp out. Ah. And um, I think if you go on to um, there's a guy that builds a lot of 2012 uh, judge um, uh, uniforms and so on, a guy called Lee Fields. I think if you go on one of his Facebook pages, he's actually got the photos, the stills from when they were shooting that scene. Uh, but then they they changed it and they actually reshot that scene completely. So that mall scene was added after the hmm. uh, rest of the film had been put together. Um, and I think Alex Garland wanted 
to show dread giving the perfect chance and also not harming a citizen in the process yeah uh to to get the audience on his side perhaps maybe that was the decision behind it but i kind of i kind of prefer this version where he shoots through a citizen you know i that's, mean if, that's the dread i know and love. yeah it definitely feels <laughs> like that feels way more judge dread it's sort of a uh a, a corollary of, of 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 the classic uh dread like arresting a guy and arresting the he, um, like dread arresting a mugger and arresting the the mugger's victim or something like that, you know, where it's sort of like yeah. he's more interested in enforcing the law than in worrying about how other people do stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and in this one, you know, he says, "Unfortunate but necessary to to save lives, and you'll be compensated for your injury." <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I just wonder how much compensation the Justice Department has dished out, you know, on behalf of uh, Dread's uh, unfortunate oh, innocent. I- citizens yeah i mean i, I gotta feel like it, it 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 does add up a little bit but you know that, that that's the price of justice right <laughs> you know yeah and speaking of uh, alternate takes on a judge dread i guess it, it's thrill four third sharper and dave clucks bites in pieces so, time for for some fan art in the annual. Everybody gets ten pounds, and there's some fun ones here. There's a there's a fatty Judge Dredd. He is the lard. A uh, <laughs> a, a Rodan inspired the Thinker Judge. A bunch of Uckos and Slains. A Judge Mongrel and Judge Stench, the fifth Dark Judge. Oh, he's smelly. <laughs> <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah, we only had five Dark Judges back then. Then, if we include Judge Stench, I think. Uh, ID, IDW probably introduced another dozen more. Um, I, I couldn't swear to that, though. I haven't actually been following the IDW tread stuff that much. Yeah, I mean, but, there's uh, a there, there's all the I, there's extra dark judges. There's uh, lady dark judges from like Necropolis and stuff like that. You know, they oh yeah, the, the sisters, know, yeah. Uh, uh, Dead World, I feel like, just has a whole um, army of of uh, dark judges and stuff. There's a lot going on with them. You know, you send yeah. the big four initially, and then, and then you sort of expand. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> then there's uh, Dave Cluck's Bites and Pieces, which is the stuff all drawn on like computer drawing programs. There's oh yeah, I really like this page because this is the kind of stuff that I used to do on my Acon Electron back in the day in a little kind of paint, very basic paint program. Yeah, it it, uh, it really feels like uh, like I've got some extra time in computer lab class, so I'm gonna I'm gonna draw this Judge Dredd or something. <laughs> That uh, Judge Anderson is very good. That's uh, the Steve Dillon Anderson from um, from City, City of the, of the Damned. Damned yeah, yeah. It's the it's the crying yeah. Anderson when she feels the uh, the pain of the city and she just sort of like starts crying involuntarily because of it. Yeah, I, I I like that one as well. I also really like. There's this one picture of like a Nort trooper in front of a big uh, 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 New Earth graveyard and that like the big wormhole in the background and stuff. That one's kind of a fun one as well. Mm. And then there's, yeah, that is nice. Yeah, there's two other dreads and two Andersons. So yeah, just fun computer stuff for sure. Um, yeah, and speaking of, I don't know, <laughs> female judges. Yeah, that sounds right to me. <laughs> it's thrill five, Judge Dread. Script about John Wagner and Alan Grant as TV Grover. Art about Brian Talbot. Lettering about Tom Frame. And it's ladies' night. And <laughs> Dread needs three judges for decoy duty in a story that has aged oddly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a story drawn in the 80s, isn't it? Absolutely. Loads of bouffant hair and heavy kind of like blue eyeshadow and stuff like yeah. that. So he's got two female judges to help him out. There's a blonde named Ma- uh, Massey and I think an, an, an Indian judge who doesn't get named 
named, but who, but but who is late? She's got like a like like a bindi on her forehead, I guess. And then yeah. there's male judge Macho. <laughs> God, <laughs> they all got a <laughs> Macho by name, Macho by nature. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they all got to dress like ladies of the evening to catch a band of uh, robberies of a, of a robbers in the Vanderbilt estate. Um, so they got to get, so they get ready for undercover work. The female judges help Macho with his makeup and getting like into his, like a, uh, like, like a lady outfit for the evening. He's got a Madonna, Madonna style co- cone bra to like help him get going. And as he, <laughs> as he gets ready, um, like the female judges help him with his makeup and Brian Talbot draws his shoulders as super like, uh, f- like furry almost. He's got so much like, like back hair and stuff as he gets dressed. Yeah, he's a real bear, isn't he? Yeah, they put him in an excellent, like, uh, bouffant wig, and Macho walks out. He's not used to high heels. (laughs) There ought to be a lot against this. And strangely, (laughs) Just Red says there is. Well, it's weird because, like, Anderson has has high heels built into her judge's uniform. I I, I think most lady judges do. It's a weird thing. (laughs) Like, what is it? Yeah. Um, not conducive to kind of like kicking the the perps butt, really, is it? I mean, it doesn't seem to very fast on those things. Although it doesn't seem to slow her down that much, I guess. Maybe she's she's used to them at this point. Um, yeah. So they're looking for these robbers. They get a false positive from some no good uh, 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 joggos just running through the city. Ooh, those joggos, which seems to be just a cult of joggers, basically. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Macho is accosted by some slugs with a homemade blaster. Oh, it's a slug gang. And they're momentarily put off by his looks. But then he starts kicking these dudes right in the gut. Like, ah, get out of here. <laughs> As, yeah. Oh, he's packing a gun in here and dynamite in here, dirt wad. <laughs> <laughs> he takes the, blast, the homemade blaster from one of the gang members. And uses it to take one or two of them down, but then it explodes in his hand. Baram! <laughs> I love the sound effects in these things. Absolutely. He calls into Dread, and he's and, and, and the judge is on the case. He tracks down and bike guns sev- several more of the perps, and the final ones are taken out by Judge Massey, who jumps down from a pedway and does some awesome kung fu on them. One of the perps calls her a bitch, and that is a terrible plan. And she just like you know catches his fist and then like uh, like kicks him in the head. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the, totally. The surviving perps are headed out to the cubes, and Macho is going to the hospital. The lady judges like tut tut his injuries. Never send a man to do a woman's job. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, dear. <laughs> yeah, this one was this one was uh, amusing. I think. I guess what I particularly liked about it was seeing um, female judges, you know, getting an opportunity to strut their stuff. Um, although, you know, I think um, them strutting their stuff in uniform might have been preferable. Yeah, um, but I like but, it. Yeah. yeah. I, I I agree. Although I like when when uh, Brian Talbot gets a chance to draw sort of like. 80s sci-fi fashion i guess like that's something i really like in his uh in his nemesis work as well when he draws like purity brown or uh candida torquemada as well which all feel very like this is what the 80s felt like pe- f- thought people would dress like in the future with a lot of you know like 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 sh- like, like big shaggy hair or like other kind of like like weird fashion accessories and things like that 
Well, you never know. Um, fashion is cyclical, isn't it? So perhaps in another 200 years or so, these things will come back into fashion. It's true. Yeah, I guess it's only a matter of time before everybody starts dressing like uh, Tina Turner and beyond Thunderdome or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. And speaking of uh, of uh, the future through the 80s, it's Thrill 6, Cosmic Covers of 85. Um, so this is just another mm. uh, uh, cover collection from 1985. It's got uh, uh, Max Bubba, The Dark Judges, There's No Stopping Us cover, Halo Jones Book 2, and uh, that slain Jack Nicholson cover. <laughs> or I've been told it's Jack Nicholson inspired, at least. Well, I've heard, I've heard tell that... Um... Glenn Fabry actually uh, used his own reflection in the mirror to help draw. Oh, one. interesting. Um, and and having met the guy and seen some of the faces faces he can pull, you know, it wouldn't <laughs> be surprised me if that was true. Um, yeah, there's a couple of um, covers here uh, which are missing, which I think, you know, um, I would have liked to have seen here. So, for mm-hmm. example, the big busters go. That would have been mm-hmm. a good one, uh, and it could have scare one. Mesher Smith's and Mega City one. Mm. Um, is it uh, Ian Kennedy, if I remember correctly? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, one of those planes. It's, it's, it's usually Ian Kennedy. I found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, there was that great Dion Crinch um, Christmas, Christmas cover. One. Yeah, Mutants, Mayhem, and Mistletoe. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I think if we could have swapped out maybe one of the dread, one or two of the dread ones here, and put those ones in instead. So yeah, that, yeah. they probably would have made my cosmic covers of '85. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I thought it was interesting so, because actually in the uh, in the dread annual this year, there's a, this big feature of the '85 covers where they actually have different um, 2080 creators pick pick the ones that that they liked the most. <laughs> And then write a little yeah, blurb about why they like those covers and stuff. And I thought that was very interesting, if just because there was a little bit of insight into what, um, like Ian Gibson thinks makes for a good cover or something like that. Um, yeah. And I felt like that was weird in Judge Dread, just because you know many of them were not Judge Dread covers, as opposed to here, where it's all 2008 covers. And and this feels so so much more basic in comparison to that one, which actually w- w- was interesting. Yeah, and uh, I've just flipped that page in the Dread Annual, actually. And yeah, the um, Messerschmitts and Mega City one is actually in there, chosen by Bert, because uh, um, it made my built-in thrill power me to register new levels of Zor <laughs> jazzness. So, yeah. Cool, as long as it's covered somewhere. Yeah, yeah excellent. <laughs> I also like, there is one interesting thing in this where, where Tharg mentions that 2080 sales are currently over 100,000, like, like a- average over a hundred thousand, which would put it in the top five of American comics uh, in twenty eighteen, which is kind of interesting. Wow! Um, yeah, that's impressive. I'm not sure what the sales are like these days. Probably a fraction of that. I think. I'd imagine so. Yeah, um, just because mm. the because the nature of the comic book industry generally, as much as anything else. Um, yeah. But speaking of uh, classic thrills from the past, and Dave Gibbons, I guess we talked about him earlier. It's Thrill Seven Robusters. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, this is a 2008 classic, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. Script wrote by Pat Mills, art wrote by Dave Gibbons, letter wrote by Dave Gibbons, because Dave Gibbons needs that second check. <laughs> it's, <laughs> hey, it's, you got to pay the bills somehow, dude. <laughs> hey, I can't I can't blame him in the, in, in, in the least. And this is the classic Terramex story from Robusters from February 1979, Prog's 98 to 101. We covered it in episodes 30 and 31 of this podcast. And oh, it's a great one. So we start with yeah. with Charlie, a giant pilot robot. He's part lighthouse, part tugboat, and he works in the huge port of North Pool, keeping everybody safe. 
we see him like 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 save a giant ship that's uh, about to crash on the rocks. He sort of wades out and pulls it to safety. But he's soon to be outmoded as mammoth jets will replace the giant ships, and a new aerospace port will replace North Pool. No. Oh no, boo. Yeah. <laughs> we follow semi-human industrialist Howard Quartz into the city where we see citizens being moved into their new homes as opposed to sort of regular I guess high-rise tenements or something. They get tiny apartments in deep underground buildings where they have uh, TV screens for windows. They can visit a tree in a tree museum, and they're confronted by the constant hum of the giant bullet trains that pass underneath. <laughs> it's just like it's a real like like dystopian like ah yes an underground skyscraper. That's where you'll live as we build this giant tarmac above you. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's very reminiscent of uh, the politics at the time where I think um, Thatcher was encouraging people to live in the uh, awful high rises, wasn't it? And this is just the reverse of that, really. Yeah. It's the awful low rises, lowest <laughs> rises possible. Absolutely. <laughs> Above ground, Father Flanagan is organizing a protest um, up, up about these developments, and he goes to ask Charlie for help as he's soon to be demolished as well along the rest of the city by the oncoming Terramex. Um, Charlie's saddened by this but doesn't know anything about fighting or how to stop the Terramex which have now arrived and oh man like this uh, this big splash War page splash awesome. page yeah. yeah it's great because because Mechquake is among them and he's the smallest one just um, was <laughs> yeah. usually the, the largest of the Robusters but there's also yeah. cool guys there's there's Tyrannomech Fantastic and King Konka oh it's time for big jobs like, <laughs> This is one of the great things that I love about Dave Gibbons is that he's he's a superb um, artist when it comes to uh, humans, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, anything kind of, um, uh, what's the word, uh, mammalian, shall we say, yeah. of a better word. But then, <laughs> you know, on the very next page, it just has this incredible technological kind of construct as well. He's right, robots. I mean, it's just fantastic. Yeah, and I brilliant. absolutely, and I think it's really great that he's able to keep putting like the the same emotion that that he can put into people's faces. He continues with these robots that you know, even though many of them don't have a lot of lines or they're sort of um, you know they're just sort of there to be destroyed. You you do get a sense of personality for, from a lot of these guys, which is really great. I mean, Char yeah. Charlie most of all, but I feel like you know I kind of fell in love with a King Conka in the course of this one, just between that he's this big monkey dis uh, destruction robot and he's got like funny lines and stuff this one yeah that works for me yeah. Yeah. Th this story is also where uh, where i know fox fell in love with the term big jobs just because they <laughs> keep changing it as they go to destroy <laughs> the city and stuff um father Great. flanagan and his people try to stand in front of their homes hoping that that will st that the robots programming will keep them back from destroying the city sort of like uh, Ar arthur dent at the start of uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy <laughs> yeah but the Terramechs seem to be too dumb to actually deal with this situation. They're just like, well, we gotta, we we gotta destroy stuff. Like, well, I don't know, like, what the people are stopping us. Like, okay, maybe let's just ignore them. We're just following orders. Like, let's get going. <laughs> and if we run our big spiked wheels over them, they'll stop. They'll stop being warm and stop making those noises. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the townsfolk flee as the bots start destroying the town. They're just 
tearing down buildings and flattening and paving over the rubble. We see a car full of people get tossed aside, and the townsfolk wonder what they can do. Meanwhile, at the dock, Charlie's having a crisis of faith, and then decides to break his programming. He's gonna take on those mechs. Charlie, him, angry. (laughs) Brilliant. It's yeah. so great. Yeah, it's like a, it's a Hulk out moment, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, because he's he's got this really yeah, like the Hulk. He's got this kind of funny childlike voice that's also full of anger. Because he he rolls up to the Terramex and he says like, "They better head out, or Charlie will give you rough stuff." <laughs> <laughs> and with that threat and impending robot fighting, oh, it's an inannual cliffhanger, and we'll talk about the rest of it later. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean up to this point i mean it's just superb isn't it um absolutely love this story it's it's definitely a contender for potentially the top spot on the annual um yeah gotta love this gotta love pat mills script gotta love uh dave gibbons art yeah superb so far but i guess we'll cover it in more detail later definitely i love having these old these these older stories in it just because i it gives me a chance to go over them with sort of fresh eyes after having read the you know in between 300 or 400 procs or something and it's fun to go yeah, back that's to right, guys yeah. and just i think in the, in the in the last um annual it was shackle wasn't it yes absolutely yeah one of my faves although i think this is the complete uh charlie story and the shackle story was abridged so it was sort of it, oh, it was right. missing some some small parts, like when he uh, was at the school and stuff like that. But, you know, still, this is real great, man. I love Charlie. He's so funny. And, um, you know, we really care about him, despite just being a big, dumb robot. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of uh, speaking of school and knowing things, it's Thrill 8 Dreads Lore. <laughs> I love your links, man. Brilliant. You know, it's my it's my, it's my one talent. <laughs> but so this is just a page of dread trivia questions. I always like in these trivia ones um, where they have stuff about recent stories. You can always sort of, for me, it's a it's a it's it's a way to tell like when they were putting this annual together. I guess because it's got these stories. About the Warlord story, where uh, where Judge Magruder ended up stepping down, and the Big Sleep mm. story, which which we actually j- 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 are are in the middle of covering on the show at this point. So I guess yeah, like, and you've just covered the Adrian Cockroach one, haven't you? Yeah, that that one as well. And so it's very like all right, like those must have been hot, hot off the press when they put this annual together, you know? Because I think yeah, because they come out for Christmas, but I think they're put together in like March or April of the year before i i really remember that because one time they had a uh, a return of the jedi um feature but it was still called revenge of the jedi revenge. yeah yeah like in the annual there um so how did you do in this quiz oh i did you know i was i, I did fine like i'm always good at, especially when, when they're multiple choice i always got I, I'm, I'm always in the top percentile i feel pretty good about it there was one that i feel like was impossible to answer because it was it was which number mo- 10 it was is that the one that's like which movie star dread looks like and they say yeah they that's say, the only one i got wrong yeah. and i was kicking myself they say they ask like clint eastwood arnold schwarzenegger or harrison ford and like how do we know like i don't know <laughs> like he never takes his helmet <laughs> off you know well i i answered a because um clint eastwood because um of the fact that john wagner wanted to do a clint eastwood style dirty high set in the future kind of thing yeah so i thought oh it, might, it must be a clint eastwood but of course, it's a trick bloody question because no one's seen Dread's face. It's just like, Absolutely. oh, God. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the comic's full of little references to Clint Eastwood. You know, he li- lives at the Rowdy Yates block, which was Clint Eastwood's character on the show Rawhide and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, you know, it's ridiculous. 
<laughs> yeah, so I was going for a hundred percent on this. I thought I was going to get a hundred percent on it, but no, that trick question. I, I was, yeah, that, that annoyed me. <laughs> the trick question. These annuals are always so mean. I remember one year they had like a spot the difference contest, and there weren't any differences between the two trades. And it's like, oh, get out of here, you guys. You guys are jerks. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. And so, but uh, hmm, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, uh, of 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 returning to the past, I guess it's. Thrill Nine Future Shocks. Scripture about uh, Alan Moore, art about John Higgins, learning about Tony Jacobs. And just like in the Progs, which, where we've seen a couple reprints of Alan Moore Future Shocks, this one's a reprint of the Future Shock, The Bounty Hunters. Mm. Uh, Great to see um, some early John Higgins stuff here, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, he's, yeah, it's, it's cool. He's really started to come to become a much more like big presence in the progs as, as we've been coming in. I, th- I think his first work was in like the, in, in the hundreds or something, but he's been very on and off until just recently when he started uh, doing a lot more dread and stuff. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think it's not long after in the um, democracy kind of stuff, isn't it? Which yeah. has uh, got some absolutely classic dread in that. Some of my favorite stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we I, I think we just did Letter for, from a Democrat, and it only goes on from there. Um, but so this one comes... Oh, when they yeah. take over the TV studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that one. Sorry, go on. No, no, no problem at all. Um, so this one's from Prague, from Prague 258, and it's part of a general move in 1986 where they've started reprinting a lot of Alan Moore's Future Shocks. I think mostly because like Watchmen's coming out and Alan Moore is a huge is, is is becoming a huge name in comics. So 2000, he's like, hey, like we've got these uh these comics from like 200 progs ago. Let's just start putting them out, you know, like 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 they're in our vault. Um, yeah, let's capitalize on it, isn't it? Absolutely. So basically, <coughs> here we have so here here we have a bunch of bounty hunters that go hunting on a planet for a shape changer. They can't find them, and they head back to their ship, which then eats them because the ship's actually the shape changer. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned when in in an early part of Halo Jones book three, um, I I talked about this future shock because. It also featured a ship that, like, when Halo and Toy got aboard, seemed to be eating them or had a very sort of, like, uh, animal-type face that seemed to be eating them. And then um, also this one, I, I, I think it's pretty fun, and it's also very similar to the Alan Moore Green Lantern story, Mogo Doesn't Socialize, which is also about a bunch of uh, bounty hunters looking for an elusive uh, target on, like, an alien planet and stuff. Oh, right, okay, so this is almost a primer for the Green Lantern stuff then, was it? A, a little bit. I mean, I think, you know... I, I can definitely see for especially for one-off stories, I could see um, a writer like having one idea and then being like, "Oh, okay, like let's do this. Let's do a slightly different version for here." Especially if it's something that um, you know, I, I feel like the American Green Lantern our, um, audience probably doesn't know 2000 AD that well, and so you could sort of you know <laughs> reuse things if you're on a deadline or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Although I do like the, the 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 Green Lantern version where this guy spends all this time looking for a bounty on this planet and it turns out that the planet itself is the uh is the bounty which is a, is which is a really fun story yeah all oh, right because the uh the bounty hunters in this were wondering is it the planet is it the yeah planet? It's they, the they like shoot the, the ground the ground yeah. <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> brain <laughs> yeah that was a fun one i enjoyed that one definitely and, and seeking so of further reminiscing it's thrill 10 tharg's photo album and back prog next progs Oh God! This is this is where I I might have almost welcomed either a text story or a natural Thog comic strip in, to replace the photo album. Yes, this is this is very much the uh, 
This is very much the the filler section of this annual for sure. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> because we basically just got a whole bunch of pages with Tharg's head posted on a bunch of stock photos showing quote unquote his experience working in different jobs. There's just like a whole bunch of real weird stuff basically. Um I think I I like the one where he's um a cloakroom attendant as one of those uh, Buckingham Palace uh, guards with the big hats. Um, oh, the Busby, yeah. And then a random like Star Trek one where he's the uh, the head cook on the Starship Enter Fries, which is pretty solid. Um, and then just one where he's like playing a, a bagpipe with his nose or whatever else. That's yeah. That's if I was to choose any favorites from this, favorites being a very used very loosely to describe <laughs> these. Um, the bagpipe one probably would be my my favorite next to the one where he's a, a stool for a pianist. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's just what the hell? <laughs> yeah. No, it's very much like all right. We got to get something in. Like okay, like let's just take five pages and just <laughs> glue Tharg's face on a bunch of random stock photos, basically. <laughs> and. Next, next, there's a collection of next prog images from various progs. Um, there's like, um, there's one for the what's a Zenade one, uh, peak fr- like a peak freeze freeze contest stuff about American football. These all appeared um, sort of towards the back of a ra- of, of 2000 AD progs. They're just sort of like, all right, like here's a here's art from the next issue, and then like like a funny thing, sort of recontextualizing it, saying to read next issue. Yeah, I mean, some of them are quite funny. Um, next prog judge gets jumped in croc shock horror. I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, uh, yeah, tabloid kind of headline, isn't it? And the other one, um, bingo, Dread and Decker pick out the losers. One pair of handcuffs, clickety-click. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. These ones are are mostly written, I think, actually specifically by Simon Geller, who was the uh, sub-editor at the time. And ah, right, okay. You know, these are sort of the things where it's like, yeah, like, like, like apparently from what I've read, like this and the what's written on the cover are the two big, like, are, are, are some of the most important, like, like, like front facing jobs of the of the assistant editor is just sort of putting these little things together and, you know, gives them a chance to kind of be funny and, and make little references and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's 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 it, it's good stuff for sure. But also very yeah. much just sort of, hey, we need to fill two pages. What's something we can do a feature on that doesn't really cost <laughs> yeah. anything, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, um, I don't know. Moving right along, let's go to Thrill 11 Daily Dreads. The annuals really... Hooray, they're back. Yeah, the annuals really <laughs> t- always test my ability to do uh, transitions just because there's so many thrills in each one. <laughs> yeah. So, again, um, art robot John Wagner, or script robot John Wagner, art robot Ron Smith, letting robot uh, Tom Frame. So more Daily Dreads, still from fall 1984. Judges Dread and Tebbit come across a Mega City One vagrant. He's covered in fleas. Dread yells the fleas so hard that they leave the perps of body, and that's what I call authority. <laughs> Brilliant. And Tebbit there with another mustache. You're always yeah. going to plug a uh, judge with a mustache there. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> next up at the Palais des Bop, which is presumably next door to the Palais des Boing. Dread is after the perp Sticky Travolta, dancing on the ceiling. Travolta tries to run, but Dread shoots off the magnetic sh- soles of his shoes, and so he's going to be dancing in an ISO cube. And Just as well, Dread's such a good shot, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, shoot that guy in the feet. That's bad news. But I love this. Just gives, um, you know, Ron Smith does a little um, John Travolta. Um, 
like caricature in here that that's really great. I I, I love when he gets a chance to do um, random caricatures in these um, da- in, in these daily dreads. I think. Do you know what I hadn't I hadn't actually spotted that, but now if I turn it upside down so I can see his face. Yeah, it yeah. does look like George Walter. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, good I mean, spot, Conrad. I hadn't seen that. There's a lot of these in there. I think um, in the Dread Annual, there's one where like he arrests like 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 Boy George randomly as just sort of a Mega City One citizen. They didn't even really talk about it. <laughs> like I read an interview with Ron Smith where he talked about the difficulty of just having to draw uh, Mega Citizens for every issue of the day of, of the Daily Dreads. And I feel like sometimes he goes to caricatures or drawing his friends and stuff like that just to sort of fill out the cast of the uh, of the city. Brilliant. Uh, it's one thing that he is particularly good at, though, isn't it? Is uh, capturing the, the the crazed citizens of Mega City One. I mean, I remember um, I think it was one of the first chopper ones when he was the king scrawler mm-hmm. and there was a picture of uh, him in um, just in the Zoom tube of his pals chatting, and there's citizens all around him while he's chatting, and you. The artwork on these incidental characters is just phenomenal and all heavily caricaturized and just looking, you know, as crazy as you might assume. Yeah, absolutely. Like in Legacy one, just brilliant, you know. Yeah, I feel like Ron Smith was really the go-to guy when they wanted to do a story about just sort of rant of of people in Mega City One. I mean, that's what you know. That's why he's done like Citizen Snork or the Stupid Gun, all the ugly stuff. That's all very yeah, also much. Thump, yeah, yeah. Just very much like, hey, here are these weird people that live in this giant city. You know, they, they, they don't have jobs. They just sort of do whatever, the, you know, they, they sort of hang around all the time and they get very strange looking and, and, and it takes them down weird directions. And that's very much Ron Smith's forte. It's what he really he, he's, he's so great at at drawing these pictures that that emphasize people's quirks and weirdness that he really brings out a lot in the in in a, in very basic like, like like crowd scenes of of the mega city yeah one of my favorite panels of his was um uh, marlon shakespeare's father trying to headbutt eggs into a bucket absolutely always stuck with me you know <laughs> absolutely yeah that's such the the epitome of mega city of a uh, citizen of mega city one with you know a a developing useless tasks that um but 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 being very passionate about them, he's just covered in eggs, trying to head it into a bucket. <laughs> he's never done it in twenty years, you know. <laughs> yeah, he deserves his own series, I reckon. Oh man, I'm ready for the Shakespeare family for sure. Mom, <laughs> mom always washing up, you know. Um, yeah. Next up at the Frank Cannon Block, which is named after the character William Conrad played on the show Cannon, and he's a big fat guy, basically. So that's why there's a big, uh, this is a big fatty story. There's a scientist showing the fatty's anonymous meeting his incredible shrinking pills. But when he takes one, instead of just shrinking down to half size, he shrinks down real tiny. And when a fatty runs in being chased by dread, he smashes the uh, scientist under his foot. The (laughs) fatty is arrested. And that's what I call a crash diet. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, that was one of the more groan-inducing puns in, in this one, wasn't it? You know, least, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you gotta get to it, you know. Um, next up, it's New Year's Eve, and a swarm of giant killer bees is headed to Mega City One. Oh no! The citizens run to their homes to hide, and as the judges patrol um, empty streets. Instead of the usual crime-filled regular New Year, and it's revealed that the whole thing was a hoax just to get people to stay inside their home homes instead of party. Oh, that's the law in Mega City One. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It's like what does he say? Oh, ninety-six percent murders down. Um, 
91 yeah. traffic accidents, burglaries, almost zero. So don't ask me if it's right. In my book, this is a happy new year. Absolutely. <laughs> Genius. Love that one. Brilliant. Absolutely. Next up, it, it, um, a werewolf has been caught in the city, and the judges are going to test it to see if it's, just a, if it's a mutant or a very hairy norm. But a vigilante kills the werewolf before it can be done. It's a mutant. It's got to die. Um, and the vigilante, of course, killed in turn. And uh, Dredd just sort of stands over the werewolf's, like, obvious wolf face and just says, oh, it's too bad. With the right haircut, he could have passed for human. Yeah, he's shaving his trim and he might have made it. Brilliant. <laughs> very, very grim, like, black humor <laughs> Dredd story here. <laughs> yeah, this this is what I love about the, well, I mean, it's 2008 as a whole, really, but, yeah. uh, and Dredd. But the Daily Star Dreads is, yeah, it is, it's this you don't really get this kind of humor anywhere else no <laughs> it's very much like yeah like like a, a a death and a joke in the same place it's an interesting combo <laughs> yeah. so next up organ leggers are hitting a spare parts bank shake a leg dreads after them put your foot down Dredd takes down the organ <laughs> leggers um and it seems this always happens this time of year because a local sports team gets mostly injured like around this month and then the trainer sends out for a whole batch of replacement limbs there must be a (laughs) hundred legs here and we're only halfway through the football season (laughs) yeah it's funny i mean the the reveal at the end where it's a hundred legs but then when you backtrack and read through it again they're saying come on shake a leg um, and then uh, uh, we've got uh, put your foot down. Yeah, you know, there's there's all these kind of leg related puns, which you don't realize are relevant until the final couple. Of you know, puns. to be honest, I could have used more <laughs> leg puns. I feel like they aren't really going going as hard as they could with these <laughs> yeah. with these leg jokes because that's a lot. That, that's what I'm in it for. I'm I'm ninety yeah, percent here for puns. They, you know, <laughs> they could have run with it a lot longer, couldn't they? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you really got it. Like they're really toe in the line in terms of the number of uh, puns that are in here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, superb. Oh, there's another panel here, actually, which is very reminiscent of, um, you know, I was talking earlier about the 2012 Dread and how, uh, um, you know, the, the shoot through the citizen kind mm-hmm. of thing was used in the start of the film initially, but then binned. Um, that scene when the, that same scene when Dread's chasing the uh, perps in the van, see the um, third panel along there where you've got this perp leaning over the steering wheel and his oh, buddy's yeah. looking out the pack trying to take out the judge that's just right out of the 2012 film isn't it definitely yeah it's it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's funny it's like sort of these little iconic images always sort of sprinkled around you know absolutely yeah <laughs> and, and speaking of a of a classic images that might not have actually seen the light of day like a missing dread scene it's thrill 11 mysteries of the command module yeah, odd one this, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a little single pager, a, a proposed cover for Prague 97 from December 1978. And it's basically just a huge Christmas scene, a huge crowd scene of all the 2000 AD characters, including like Hammerstein as Father Christmas and stuff. The The actual cover was this sort of random robot picture by Jose Luis Ferrer. So it seems like this one just might have not made it to deadline or something. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, it's a nice bit of Kevin O'Neill art, but there's if you look at the characters in the background there, um, there's a couple that aren't 2018 related at all. Is that um, Eva from Metropolis? Um, yeah, and I think and uh, Archie, the uh, like that one that 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 robot character that would show that's a classic British comics character that would show up in in a Zenith eventually. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, nice slice of history for us that we've you know yeah. come to light, which is great. I guess you got to have some Easter eggs hidden in there with the 2080 characters or something. 
It also really reminds me yeah. there was a there was a Judge Dredd Christmas story in like the 1980 Dan Dare annual, which was like Christmas on the Moon or something, and had like a, a Tharg like Dread response to a noise call, and it's got Tharg and a whole bunch of characters from both 2080 and Star Lord, including like a Pat Mills bot that gets arrested and stuff like that. <laughs> How brilliant. <laughs> like the the robots go on strike or something. Um and has a sim- this similar sort of big crowd scene of all the 2008 AD characters and stuff in a Christmas setting, I guess. Anyhow. So a kind of yeah. a 2008 AD version of Where's Wally kind of thing. Exactly. Like cuz yeah, cuz I <laughs> I was just like I I can't stop looking at the little uh, visible man in the background there, just a big skull just kind of looking all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of blasts from the past, it's Thrill 12, Strontium Dog. Uh, yeah, Strontium d- Dog, not drawn by Carlos Escara, which is true. doesn't kind of sit quite right, does it? Yeah, um, script about Alan Grant, art about Kim Raymond, letter about Mark King. Yeah. Yeah, so Kim Kim Raymond's done some interesting stuff with the prog. I mean, her, her sexy uh, vampire Hershey was, was excellent. Absolutely. I say, I say Kim is a her. I'm not sure if Kim. No, I believe it's a him, actually. Yeah. It's a him, is it? Okay, yeah. There. I'll just use the gender. (laughs) Not specific there. Uh, So, yeah, their sexy vampire Hershey was was superb. And I loved that that artwork in City of the Damned. Absolutely. A lot of people aren't so keen on it. Yeah, it just really clicked with me. So, yeah, I think it's just that sometimes it can get like, like, uh, uh, Raymond's art can get a little ropey, I guess. Like, I don't know. I think about the uh, like the Judge Decker storyline. There's parts of it that 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 get pretty rough, to be honest, in certain parts. Um, but yeah, and so we've got that. So 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 we've got Kim Raymond doing a non scared strontium dog, more of a strontium puppy story, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> in the year twenty one sixty six, a plague is sweeping England. It's devastating the mutant ghettos, complete with Monty Python style plague cards. You know, bring out your dead. <laughs> Yeah, he's, this, he's not dead. Uh, you know, he feels oh, right. he's he's getting better. Like, oh, that's just a mutant ability. Um, <laughs> things get hairy when a med convoy heads through. Mutants try to attack it to get the vaccine to the plague, but get shot back. Later, at a meeting of the mutant army, General Arms wants to attack, but his young protege, teenage Johnny Alpha, says it's a trap. However, Johnny has a plan, and it just might work. There's also like some weird brothers in here. I like when they when uh, they they do these flashbacks as a chance to do some of the other like dead mutants sort of hanging out and doing stuff. So that, yeah, yeah, always good to see them return. Yeah, definitely. That night, the mutants sneak in. They take out guards as Johnny and glasses to hide his eyes sneaks in using his alpha eyes to find the vaccine. Some smooth moves, assassinations, and silenced pistols gets them through to the vaccine, and they manage to fill their bags as the tanks roll in. But some of them have been taken over by the mutants, so they're able to, like, you know, they they knew the tanks were coming. So part of the plan was to take was to hijack one of the tanks ahead of time, so it could help them escape. Right. Yeah, our heroes blast out on an arm tank and make their way back to the ghetto. The mutants are saved from the plague and the war continues. The mutants must be freed. No surrender. And this story ends with Raymond just blatantly ripping off the iconic image of young Johnny from the port of the mutant story. Yeah, you know? yeah totally. Um, yeah, I've got very mixed feelings about this. I mean, it, this, the story could have just been dropped right in the middle of Portrait of a Mutant, couldn't mm-hmm. it? Probably been quite successful, but... Um, uh, 
know, it's yeah, all right. no, it, yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's very much hurt by being a non strontium dog for sure. Um, yeah, and there's 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 some good art in here. I mean, there's some there's some panels which are fantastic. I particularly love the one of where they're all sat atop the tank, and there's lots of colors coming in from different angles yeah. and different light effects with Johnny's glowing red eyes. I mean, that's a lovely panel. Um, but, but sadly, that quality isn't carried all the way through, really. Um, Indeed. Yeah, although, I, you know, I do really like these sort of young Johnny stories. I think this is a cool, like, era. You know, I mean, we, you you know he, he can't, like, die or anything like that because, of course, we, we know the story ends. But it's still fun to see, I don't know, like uh, like like teen rebel, <laughs> like a mercenary, or not a mercenary, but like a, you know, rebel leader Johnny, like sort of fighting against the Humes and stuff. That's a really fun, that's a really fun era of the Strontium Dog character, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah, so it's all part of the journey, isn't it? Isn't it? And filling in some of the blanks and so on. So yeah, yeah. good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because because. Like you said, this very much feels like a like just a side story in there because you know there's a sort of a montage in the actual portrait portrait of a mutant of the um of the mutant sort of you know winning fights against the Humes and stuff. So just having an example that is uh, is it, it, it is fun for sure. Mm. Yeah, and, this could easily yeah. be one of those uh, battles, couldn't it? Definitely. And speaking of a ragtag rebel fighting against um, an overwhelming odds, it's. Thrill 13, Robusters. Oh, hang on. What about the Strontium Dog quiz special? Oh, that's right. We do actually see some Ezkara art. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. After Strontium Dog's story, (laughs) indeed, there's another one of these multiple choice questions about Johnny Alpha and his buddies. Um, Most of the stories are are pretty recent, like about sort of stuff leading up to the end of the Max Bubba story and stuff. Personally, I would have liked at least one like Journey to Hell story as well, just to sort of bring back the old the old crazy Strontium Dog story as well as more recent <laughs> yeah. regular ones. How did you do on this quiz? I mean, I yeah, I was in the top percentile. Like, it's just sort of you, you pick them up. I got one you wrong know. again. Oh, but this time it was my fault. <laughs> so I haven't got any excuses this time. It was one about the the, the Gronk's homeworld. I thought it was uh, Gallego, but it was Blaz. Ah. I call myself a fan. I'm going I'm to send my SD badge back to Planet Replicas in disgust at myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if you're if, if if you're in the top level, that's good enough. I think you know, there's no reason to be like to beat yourself up about it. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, (laughs) All right, so let's move. Let's jump ahead to Robusters. Oh, geez. Script robot Pat Mills. Art robot Dave Gibbons. Letting robot Dave Gibbons. Uh, Charlie is throwing down against the Terramex. Charlie kill. Just awesome. Robot fighting here as Harold Quartz is called to task for the violence of his Terramex. It's building up to be just a big PR disaster. Oh, my God. This is some of the best robot-on-robot action ever, isn't it? Absolutely. It's astounding. Yeah. I love how, how, how Mechquake runs away as, like, Charlie <laughs> stomps on the corpse of one of the Terramex. Uh, <laughs> well, true to character, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, Quartz and company try to pin decide to pin the blame on Charlie as the pilot bot goes to show down with King Konka, the most brutal of the Terramex. He's got ten forward gears and five reverse gears and must complete his work quota and he's going to kick your ass to do it. The, <laughs> the two right. robots bash it out, but Charlie is victorious. Quartz decides to call the Navy on Charlie as the lighthouse bot would never think to hurt a ship despite him standing over the bodies of his foes with a big piece of rubble that he's using like a hammer and just looking super badass. Yeah. Good old Charlie. Squaring up to them. Yeah, Absolutely. Fantastic. 
The smaller bots run as the uh, as in the ocean the destroyer Nemesis shoots a distress signal to lure Charlie out into the water. Charlie heads out, but the townsfolk recognize the ship and call out to Charlie, begging him to come back. Aboard the destroyer, these sailors are unhappy about their work, but they've been told that Charlie has gone berserk and they have no choice but to blow him away. It takes several salvos, and oh, it's just so sad as we see Charlie slowly, like, fall beneath the waves, like, crying, betrayed by the very ships that he's loved so much and risked his life to save so many times. Oh, I feel bad for Charlie. I don't understand. Why? Why? Charlie hurt. Feel pain. Bad pain. It's real oh, bad. Oh, God, it's just heartbreaking. He's just like, 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 like a child that's been betrayed by, like, his teddy bear or something. It's real bad. Yeah. Oh, dear. He disappears beneath the waves, and as the days pass, Quartz has to deal with a massive PR nightmare as the truth of the Terramex comes out and Northpool mourns Charlie. The surviving Terramex are recovered, having created just various paths of destruction as they sort of left the Northpool area. And several weeks later, a storm kicks up in North Pool. Beneath the sea, something is moving. It's Charlie. He's alive. The massive... Go on, Charlie. You could do it. <laughs> You've got it. The massive mech stumbles into North Pool as the town sings, You'll never walk alone to him. The bot arrives at the song's climax, tears running down his eyes. Charlie is home. Brilliant. Just, Walking in a massive, Genius. massive, you'll never, you'll never walk alone as he comes in. Um, yeah, yeah, superb full page ending on that, isn't it? And look at that artwork, it's just amazing. Just a great, Dave Gibbons, he's the yeah. master, isn't he? Like, a, like he's all battle damaged, but he walks in, there's like tears rolling down his robot eyes and stuff. Oh, it's so great, absolutely. One thing, like if, if I had one quibble, it's that later in a in a subsequent issue that they, they had a uh, a back cover with, that had a restored uh, a restored Charlie being given like the key to the city of Northpool, and I wish they'd put that in this in in here as well, just because that that's my favorite, like or that's a great capper to this um, story, you know, just that he Char- Charlie's been fixed back up and he's sort of become like a big hero of the city, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, you yeah. know, it's it, we still got the good stuff, I reckon. Absolutely. Yeah, that robot on robot action, my god, just brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Great robot <laughs> smushing, great emotional end. One of the two times that uh that uh you'll never walk alone has been the end of a 2018 story. Really? What's the other one? The other one is a is an early invasion story where um like Savage is going to be execu- where Savage and his gang are going to be executed in Wembley Stadium, and instead. They like fight back and kill all the Volgs on like live TV, and then sort of disappear into the night with the whole with, with, with all of London singing the song um, as well. Oh, brilliant! <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and speaking of uh, exciting endings, it's Thrill Fourteen Quiz Special, <laughs> which is just the answers to all the quizzes we've had. Like I said, I got the top percentile in both of them, so I'm a mutant mastermind, and my descendants have won a 50,000 credit prize in Mega City 1, so, you know, I'm sure they'll all appreciate that in the grim, dark future. <laughs> yeah, I scored in the same percentile as well, so yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yay, go us. <laughs> all right. Um, after that, there's an ad for the 1987 Judge Dredd Annual, which we just reviewed here on the show, the episode before this one. You know, good stuff. 
I this annual is kind of interesting because it's the first one in a long time that didn't have a bunch of Ascara stories or stories drawn by Ascara, but it does have a lot of things that felt very futuristic or very like sort of what's to come in Judge Dredd. There's a big Brent, Brendan McCarthy one, for instance. Um, yeah, very, very are, nice artwork in that one. Yeah, yeah, and they're very to me they very much felt like what Dredd's going to be sort of in the late '80s and early '90s, I guess, in terms of like mm, art. Yeah. And there was a there's a nice um, full color Ian Gibson one in there as well, which, Absolutely. which is lovely. So. Yeah, and and some more Brian Talbot. Yeah, there's even a uh, a tech story about Judge Anderson in that annual. Speaking of which, <laughs> Thrill Fifteen Judge Anderson, uh, scripter about Alan <laughs> good, Grant. Good Do my you know we're we're right at the end. I'm like I'm I'm, I'm out of steam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I do well. <laughs> scripter about Alan Grant, art robot Enric Romero, art uh, letting robot Steve Potter. The story's called Golem, and this is uh, pretty much Romero's only 2000 AD work besides a an issue of the Scarlet Apocrypha in the magazine in 2002. Um, mm. The art's kind of interesting. In- yeah, I didn't I didn't recognize this artwork at all. No. This, this style of artwork. Yeah. So. To to me, it looks like just from what I've seen from like little bits and pieces, it reminds me a lot of uh, or it, it reminds me of, of what I think. A, a a a girls comic like Misty would would, would look like I guess um, yeah like like if you had a Misty story set in in Mega City One I guess and it's yeah. also also a very off model Judge Anderson here like yeah white hair yellow knee pads I mean what's going on <laughs> yeah you could have easily made this be about any other side judge besides Anderson and I would have I, I would have uh, bought it you know. And then furthering the Misty vibes, I guess, there's just a bunch of kids who have snuck into a reclaim zone with a weird magic book, and they're going to do some gross magic. (laughs) They got a dead rat, some crushed spiders and green slime. They say some magic words and summon a crazy monster that seems to be shooting eye beams at people. Oh, no. (laughs) Judge Anderson gets a psychic uh, flash and goes to investigate. The kids try to control the golem monster with magic words, but instead it just starts attacking them. Luckily, Anderson's on the scene and tries to take the monster down, though it doesn't respond well. It, like, knocks her around. She shoots it in the head and doesn't seem to respond or do anything, and then just sort of throws her into a wall, knocking her out. When Anderson comes to, she finds the dead body of one of the kids and scans their brain for info. She learns about the spell book and the golem, but what, like the spell they did isn't nearly enough to summon some kind of giant gross murder monster. <laughs> Further <laughs> investigation, though, reveals that one of the kids is a latent telekine, or someone who's got telekinesis abilities. And apparently mm. the spell to animate the golem... Um, caused her powers to awaken and so she's completely unaware of it but she's brought this golem to life with her brain armed with that I know. yeah it's real tough man armed with that info Anderson rides out finds the kid and redirects their mental power causing the golem to collapse in a big puddle of goop yay yeah good times oh, I, love the, I, love, I love the artwork on the uh, the, the golem it just, there. just goes beautiful. In, yeah one final hand Terminator 2 style Anderson calls yeah. calls out the med squads and meat wagons to the reclaim zone and it's just a bummer because these kids didn't mean any harm oh man <laughs> And in true 2000 AD fashion, the very last pan- panel of the annual is a couple of kids looking over the dead bodies of their friends. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, 2000 AD. This is a kid's annual. What yeah, are you ma- doing? <laughs> Merry Christmas, boys and girls. Your friends died in a, died in a junkyard. 
doing magical <laughs> stuff. All right, that's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, superb! Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I, mean, I actually quite like this story. You know, yeah. it was it was a lovely, it was a good bit of fun. And uh, although it was an unusual um, artist choice, uh, I think they, they did very well. It was very fluid, lots of action in it. Yeah. And although um, they got the color scheme of the judges' uniform completely wrong and stuff like that, the lawmaster is beautifully rendered, you know? Um, yeah, this whole so... thing, it very much feels like it was just a, a, uh, a tryout for, for Romero to see if, if they wanted him for the, for the progs. And I guess they, they didn't go with him, but they just sort of had the pages. So like, all right, let's just put it in the annual which seems to be a lot of what the annual does is a big, big uh, gr- uh, uh, place to put like people's tryouts and initial works and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean it, it works though. It's a it's a half decent Judd Anderson story. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and it could have there's, been there's some beautiful artwork in here. Definitely, and it could have been way more grim. Like she just redirects the kid's psychic ability. She doesn't have to shoot the kid. You know that would have been like max grim. <laughs> The most grim situation. Yeah, that would that would be maximum 2008 grimness, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of 2008 grimness, oh, we've reached the end of the 1987 2008 annual. Whoa. Oh no! Oh, this Carlos Thog on the back there, awesome. Absolutely, yeah, the back, big back cover, good times. But now, Dave, I have one last question for you, which is, what were your top and bottom thrills of this annual? Oh, that's a tough one. I've deliberated long and hard over this because uh, there's there's some really good stuff in there and there's the, there's some not so good stuff in there. But <laughs> the, oh, where to start? Well, bottom, um, I'm going to avoid the future shocks because we you know one of which I quite liked anyway. The um, the Alan Moore and John Higgins one. Sure. Um, I'm gonna say, and I'm loath to say it because of the fantastic Jose Ortiz uh, artwork. I'm going to say Rogue. Um, you know, while I absolutely loved the art. The story was just too much whimsy compared to the usual tales of battlefield horror, you know, mm. um, and it it just didn't click with me. So I'm going to go with that as as the bottom. The best, though, that was an even tougher decision. I tell you, um, you've got the classic uh, Robuster story in there, and mm-hmm. Dave Gibbons on artwork, and it's just it's got it's so high impact. It's it's got such an amazing and emotional content, and the best. Um, robot smashing action you know ever. <laughs> um <laughs> but um i also had to consider the daily star dreads because mm. um i absolutely love the daily star dreads i think they're just uh, you know um masterpieces of of really quick storytelling um with superb artwork um and you know and on top of which i've been badgering you for ages to, to, to cover them <laughs> yeah. and now here we are covering them so, absolutely yeah. awesome um yeah so do you know what i uh, i'm gonna go with the daily star dreads just because you know they've always meant a lot to me i've always really enjoyed them and i think it's what finally made me totally clue into what 2018 was about and get me properly started back when i was about 13 years old you know so nice. that's what i'm going to choose so uh conrad um what would you say is your absolute top and your absolute bottom oh man i mean i i think that like i think that's a great point about the daily stars about the daily dreads i really like them as well just yeah they're they're just masterpieces of compressed storytelling in terms of art and um and writing and you know they, they if just like some of the strontium dog stuff um that we did on the show a, a couple months ago you know they always feel a lot more poignant now with uh with, with ron smith's recent passing um but i think for my top 
Uh, I don't know. I got to think about it. Um, I'll, I'll say for <laughs> for my bottom, I'm going to say the Judge Anderson story. I guess um, you know the R was interesting, but for me it was just too different. And like Anderson looks really weird, so that really throws it off for me. I guess and just I don't know. I feel like the stories maybe missing something. I guess I wish there'd been like a scene where we really saw Anderson like like wrestling with the with the uh, kid's mind or something like that. It feels very much like Anderson just sort of identifies the problem and then flips a switch and the problem's solved, I guess. And I wish there'd been a little bit more like once conflict once he's figured out what the situation is or something like that. I don't know. It feels like an in, like it's missing a page almost or something. Yeah, um, I see where you're coming from there. Yeah, it was over very quickly, wasn't it? Um it, it could have made like two or three episodes in a, in a prog couldn't it so. yeah and i and although i'll also agree that i felt like i didn't like that you know we've had some really poignant rogue trooper stories over the years in these annuals and specials and sort of have one that's just sort of a oh those wacky chips like here's a here's a made-up story aren't those chips wacky was sort of a letdown as well um and then for my top, oh, I don't know. There's some good, there's some real good stuff in here. Like, like you said, the the Charlie story is really great. Um, I love the, the, you know, I actually really like the 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 the, the Strontium pup story, just because um, it's such an interesting <laughs> view of that era of Strontium dog. I think, but in the end, I think I'm gonna give it to Robusters. I really love that story, um, and just Charlie being all thing. I got like actually while reading it, got emotional a little bit, like when they when Charlie was being taken out by the destroyer and stuff. I was like, oh, that's so sad. And he comes back, and I was yeah. like, oh, like they they brought it back. That's amazing. Just how you know the uh, the the good feelings of Charlie coming back and walking in from the storm and stuff is really great and really fun. And I think that's a. Uh, a great choice and or a really great story and i'm glad they reprinted it here for sure so that you know future generations could see it it's not just lost in the prox <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely agree with you there i mean yeah when charlie's like slipping under the waves there it's just like oh no come yeah. on he's a good guy he's done yeah. so well yeah and it's such very a, sad yeah. moment and it's such a funny story too because it's a robuster story that doesn't have rojas and hammerstein in it and yeah, and and it's also funny because of the interactions between uh, all of um, Quartz's uh, robot cohorts, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and then you know, the, yeah, and with then, their unique characters and so on. Definitely, and then it leads directly to like the the fall and rise of Rojas and Hammerstein because Quartz gets like his like fortune is cleaned out in the in the in, in the as as a result of this of the Terramech story. So he's got to like you know have Rojas and Hammerstein or have the the robusters killed off to sort of save money and stuff stuff i don't know yeah. it's an interesting like it, it's it's a big turning point for that story as well but yeah so I'd yeah. Say that, that that was my top real fun real like real weirdly emotional it's, it's always weird to have emotions about robots so i think that's a lot of fun um yeah or, or even comics <laughs> yeah that's true absolutely yeah it's great it's great the 2018 just keeps hitting you in that uh you know, in the fields and, and all these different stories, yeah. whether it's Robusters or Halo Jones or, or Strontium Dog or whatever, you know. Yeah, everyone's, yeah. yeah, so much of it's just sort of like uh, action and being ridiculous. And every once in a while, there's like that moment where everything paused and it's like, oh, but like, no, I'm sad. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> I don't want to feel things. <laughs> and then you read about the Griblings. Yeah. Right. Yeah, bring it back up. <laughs> um, Griblings, which are, are, are cute, but will also eat your body, eat your dead corpse down to the bone. So be careful. <laughs> 
Yeah, but on the plus side, I don't think they ever appeared on the progs ever again, did they? No, there was a uh, there's a uh, a where there was a where are they now in the in, in the magazine a couple of years ago, but that's about it. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k. Everything else, look up spacespinner2000, and we should be there. And Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you'd like to plug or where people can find you on the internet? Um, yeah, there's a couple of things if you don't mind. I'll, I'll just oh, try and get to them quickly. Sure. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if, if anyone's interested in seeing um, any of the models I make to do with 2000 AD, you can find me on DeviantArt under Scowling Monkey, all one word. Uh, and there's also some photos of uh, Judge Pal in various guises, t- uh, pictures taken by the <laughs> likes of Steve Green and Wendy Payne and people like that. The big thing that I want to mention um, is uh, Lawless, the comic convention that's happening in. Um, Bristol on May the 18th in the Doubletree Hilton. It's a, a collection of uh, artists and writers, British artists and writers coming together. Uh, and most importantly, it's a, it's a tribute to um, Carlos's carer. So if you can make it for that, awesome. Um, I'm going to be doing a couple of things leading up to that, um, which is, are going to go live a little near the date. Um, so first of all, following Eamon Clark's good example, I'm going to be setting up a Just Giving page uh, for Save the Children, a, a charity that I, I uh, like to contribute to. Um, and I'm going to be raffling off some of the models that I've made. Um, they've, they've met with... They, They've met with some quite positive reception, so I'm hoping that if I do a raffle of some of the more popular models, I can raise a bit of money for that. But then also, um, there's going to be a, a Lawless exclusive model, which I'm going to be building in the run-up to uh, Lawless, where you're only going to be able to get a raffle ticket for that if, if you're actually at the event. So, ah, nice. uh, yeah, I thought I'd mention those. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, the, I've I've started seeing advertisements for Lawless on like face on like Facebook and other social media, and it looks really amazing. I wish you know, I always wish I could get out these. I, I feel so jealous of everybody that's able just to go and <laughs> meet these creators and stuff and hang out with other 2000 AD fans. It seems really cool. Well, if, if you can drum up the airfare, I can put you up, dude. You know. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't you know? Don't don't get yourself in trouble offering offering weird stuff. But okay. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for coming to the show, man. And everybody, come back next time as we continue our working vacation, just getting our our stuff uh, built back up as we uh, start a round of Space Spinner Collection. Collections. These are shows featuring all of our coverage for a specific thrill or storyline. First up, we're looking at some pre-Golden Age stuff as we head to a future full of demons, sociopathic robots, and the U.S. rail system with the two-thirds great story Return to Armageddon by Malcolm Shaw and and Jesus Redondo. Oh, it's going to be great. Awesome. That does sound great. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. We we had some great times talking about it, and I'm excited just to sort of get it all in one place at, at last. We've been playing this one for a long time. And until then, I'm Conrad, they're Dave, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for three! three. <laughs>